Have you ever wondered what the secret is to raising confident, resilient kids who are achievers? How would you create a parenting plan to accomplish this? I have an expert here with me who has written a book on this topic, and he will share some tips with us in just a moment, so don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is an author of four books, including the one that we're here to talk about, Four Lessons from My Three Sons, How You Can Raise Resilient Kids. This book explains how the author's parenting techniques helped to propel his sons into the U.S. Naval Academy, Williams College, and West Point, and beyond. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Hey, Jonathan, it's a privilege to be with you, my friend. I have to know, what is your favorite dad joke? My five-year-old kid is checking in at a lacrosse camp. You know, he's in a line with kids, and he gets to the front, and they're getting the vital information for each kid. And so the guy says, you know, what's your address? And then he says, when is your birthday? And my kid looks at him and he says, every year. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) Thank you, my man. Well, let's jump right into it. There is a lot of information in your book. I also know that you've had an amazing career with adventures that many could only dream of. How did this journey happen? Well, Jonathan, you know, every... Every dad, and they're all listening to this, you know, they see the progression of their kids from the the time three hours after they're born and they're holding them all the way to two to four to six to 16. And I was on that progression. And when the last kid left for college, the last kid uh, went to West Point and I dropped him off at West Point and I'd driven home and I was sitting outside in my backyard. And my first thought was, now, what am I going to do? Because heretofore, I'd had all these days and weekends full of things to do with uh, my sons, athletic events, school events, just horsing around. And suddenly there was nobody. And so I sitting out there, I thought, well, you know, these guys have kind of performed, you know, pretty well. The, the eldest went to uh Williams College, and then went to the Navy, Officer Canada School. The middle kid had just finished at the Naval Academy. And then this kid was up there at West Point for a, a summer of getting beat down. And I thought, now, what can I, what, what are the lessons to be learned from this? Literally, the lessons. And I thought, I have four lessons here on how these kids were raised. And I'm going to put them in book form. And it's going to be short and hard and fast and funny. And that's how the book evolved and eventually, you know, was published and came out. And it's 40 minutes of a 40 minute read. It's not some coffee table anchor, you know, 350 pages of gibberish. But the genesis was, I've got these kids, they're all gone now. What did I learn? What did we learn? As a dad, what are some of your biggest wins or successes with your kids and what are you the most proud of? Oh, great question. Again, you know, all dads have that question at some point. The biggest success is that today they're all satisfied. And yesterday they were all satisfied. And when they were 14, they were satisfied. These were kids who there wasn't a lot of um, anxiety or worry. They undertook things pretty diligently and mostly succeeded. And 
that's the long game in parenting. You know, a kid that along the stages of life is satisfied, is joyful, um, you know, spiritually happy, accomplished. So it's the, the success is having that kid who over that long game, that long period of time, is a pretty good-natured, confident, easygoing child. And then, of course, adolescent and then young man or young woman. The kid has a sense of his place or her place in the world. That there's a just a rock-solid presence that they maintain, whether they're around their peers, their parents, strangers, adults, whomever. That, and it goes to the confidence um, angle as well too. That that life seems to flow along for that kid in that you know very easygoing fashion, and that ups and downs, and everyone hits a wall in life. All kids hit it. Some kids hit it more frequently than others. But that whatever adversity or obstacle comes, that they can get over it or get around it and absorb it. I used to have, I had this drill sergeant when I was in the army, big, just a tough guy who, from whom I learned a ton about life. And he would always say to us, you know, wherever we were are on, you know, on our infantry training, he would say, assess, adapt, advance. And so we learned that, you know, it became part of a reflex action for all of us soldiers. That's the, the, that's the mindset I built. I tried to build in, you know, I worked on building into the kids so that they had that, 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 that presence of mind that they could meet any challenge. And it, even if they got 90%, you know, down the, the, the field, 90 yards down the field, you know, felt calm and, and confident in addressing it. There are two components to every man that makes a man stable. One is knowing his identity and the other one is knowing his purpose. And the identity is broken up into two components. One is a generational component, knowing who you are from a standpoint of where you come from, like your, your dad, your, your grandfather, your great grandfather, uh, what were their struggles? Uh, is there alcoholism in the family generationally? And is that what you're up against? Knowing things like that, having information like that, that is part of your identity. Because if you know this information and you know it's potentially, it could be potentially in front of you, maybe immediately in front of you, or maybe at some point you are prepared. You can prepare yourself and do something about it before it becomes a problem. The other side of you is your spiritual identity. And that is a huge part of your makeup of what makes you who you are. So that's why I found your your point in the very beginning about knowing themselves spiritually, why that was so important. Yes. And I'd add to that, Jonathan, you know, one of your earlier podcasts, you made this great point and you just made it again. You were talking about a train and the general generational identity and you're in the engine and the rest of your generations are behind you in those trains that are that you're dragging along with you. That generational identity is so key because you do learn things intuitively uh, and materially from 
your fathers, your moms, your grandmothers, your grandfathers. You know, I, I'm always perplexed today about hearing about kids who are, you know, stressed out or who are uncertain and anxious. You know, my dad at 15 years of age was working in a vanadium mine a mile beneath the surface of the Sierra Nevada mountains. At 18, he participated in the invasion of Okinawa, one of the biggest battles of World War II. At 19, he was patrolling the streets of Tokyo as part of the occupation force. He came home in 1946, having not seen his family in a year, and had to take care of his parents for four years, and ultimately made it to Los Angeles and was the oldest member of his graduating class um, at UCLA. His father never made it past seventh grade. So we're talking about strong, strong men here. And my mom's experience was pretty much the same. There's a whole generation of people like that. And my dad's story is hardly remarkable for that fact. But that's that's that train. That's in that car that's right behind me, what my dad did and my mom did. So knowing that, you know, you're able to kind of coalesce around the things that made them strong, and then you try to instill it in your kids. This gets into something we're going to talk about a little bit later on in this conversation, which is leaving a, a lasting legacy. And I think that's powerful, but you just dropped a really big hint to that. So the next question can be a very uncomfortable one. Sure. But I would encourage dads listening to answer this question for yourself and not to be scared of it. Because if you if you dive headfirst into this next question, it will make you a stronger, powerful dad. That question is, what are some of your biggest regrets or mistakes that you've made as a dad? And what did you learn from them and how did they help you grow? Certainly. And, you know, you got to acknowledge, you know, you got the good and the bad. As I, I said it earlier, no one gets a free ride. You know, I was nope. never a perfect dad. There's no such thing as a perfect dad, just like there's no such thing as a perfect kid. My biggest mistake, and I maybe it's uh, universal in fatherhood, is that I thought that I knew my kids pretty well, but there were times that I did not. And in fact, in the book, Four Lessons for My Three Sons, there are at least five or six um, examples, self-deprecating, of when I made a mistake with my kids and I was, you know, ashamed or humiliated. And it was the kid that was setting me right. I mean, one of the stories is I was riding this kid, the, the eldest kid, to run for this student body position at his school. And I kept riding him and riding him. And he's, you know, finally one night when I was still nagging him, he turns to me and he says, Dad, I know what I'm doing here. And, you know, it was a shock. And I thought, wow. you know, you do because you just came back at me pretty hard. And that's the way it's got to be sometimes. The dad's got to take that that correction and, and the humiliation, I guess, that goes along with it um, and say, wow, the kid is right. I don't know it all. And, you know, anyone who's vain enough to write a book about 
you know, his parenting techniques has also got to be strong enough to take the heat when he's wrong. Were you a little bit proud of his answer? Even a little bit? (laughs) No, not really at the time. I just shut up. I thought, well, you know, you're making a big mistake here because the kid was, you know, good on his feet. He was a popular kid at school. He was an athlete. He was, you know, pretty sharp kid. And I thought, man, you're blowing this opportunity. But, you know, if you're, you know, any adults got to know when to say, hey, you know, I'm in the wrong here. And it, it probably an hour later, I was thinking, okay, you know, I got to back off on this because the kid knows what he's doing. Um, and there's like in the last, last sections of the book, I'm taking, you know, we're, where we live in Washington, D.C. and in Bethesda, there are massive office buildings all over the place in D.C., you know, and then in right across the river in Virginia, throughout Montgomery County, where we lived, you know, office park, sometimes just five or six stories, D.C., 13 stories all over the place. We'd been in New York, et cetera. And, you know, these big monster buildings and they're full of steel and glass and they're just absolutely soulless. And I wanted to make a point to him. And I said, hey, man, hey, guys, you know, we're we're driving around past all these office buildings. Let me tell you about them. I said, in every one of them, there's a guy sitting in an office and on on the wall, he's got a picture of his family and on his desk, he's got, a mug like you made me in second grade and he's staring at a computer screen because this guy sitting there was going to be, he was going to be somebody. He was going to be a jet pilot or he was going to be in real estate. He was going to own his own business. He was going to sail around the world. He was, you know, going to fix cars and be a, you know, a star at that. Instead, he's sitting there staring at a computer saying, what the hell am I doing here? And I said, guys, you don't want to be like that guy because that guy's your dad. And you have got to get farther than your old man did. They they were kind of shocked. And I said, hey, it's the truth, man. You know, you've got to get farther than that. Staring at a screen, you know, sending emails, getting on Zoom calls, you know, all of that jive. You have got to have the, the the farthest landscape and horizon you can possibly dream of. So I want to come back to that question that I was hinting at earlier. Every dad I know wants to leave a positive legacy behind that will last for generations. What is the secret to making that happen? I think you've got to build kids, you know, just like the, the themes in the book. I think, you know, the most important trait a kid can have is that confidence in being in the real world. And that le- that confidence leads to accomplishments because a kid that can walk through the world and, w- and take the pain and achieve the successes, that becomes a habit. It becomes a reflex for every aspect of their life. And as they grow older, you know, the, the accomplishments, the achievements, just grow in size and in magnitude. A kid can have a good lacrosse game at age six, and then he's in college and he has the same kind of game. And he says, I know where this started. It started when I was six years old. So that's that's a legacy, even for a kid over the course of 15 years, 
when I think what you're talking about is a dad who is holding that kid, you know, at three hours and says, what is this kid going to be? You know, a dad yeah, yeah. and holds that kid. And then, and that's part of the, and that's the central theme of the book really is holding that kid at three hours old and saying, I've got a strategy to make this kid realize the potential that he has. Cause I'm old fashioned. Every kid has potential in one thing, maybe several. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, Whenever I, in my parenting journey, I'm always aware that the things that I'm teaching them, regardless of what age they happen to be, those lessons are going to last and are supposed to last long after I'm gone. Oh, yeah. You are programming genetics in the way you raise them. So that is, there's multiple components to leaving a legacy. But it just when you have that on your, on the front of your mind, it makes you very mindful about the decisions that you make with your kids, what you're teaching them, the values, the values you live yourself by your example, sometimes are the most powerful teacher to your kids. Correct. Again, wise, wise, Jonathan, they are values are essential because they affect every aspect of your life. Now let's really get to the pinpoint of your book. And that is resiliency. How do you teach your kids to be resilient in the face of failure? That That's where the strategy comes in. And it kind of bounces back to your earlier question, Jonathan, when you're talking about legacy. Because, and, and kids, you know, long, you, and you use the words, long after you're gone. Uh, be, most kids and most parents don't know this, but by 12 and a half to 13 years of age, that parent has spent the bulk of the time they're going to spend with their child in their life. Because oh, after wow. that, the kid moves on and has many more actions with peers and, and strangers and the institutions in which they find themselves. So my, my shot at teaching resilience began really early. And the best way to build resilience is to put them in situations in that real world where after 13 years old, they're going to spend the bulk of their life without you. And it, the, putting them in that real world, and I mean the, the world that's outside the front door, you know, the, the school, the malls, the athletic fields, the hardware store, you know, different kinds of places in the community, in the neighborhood, I gave them tests. The, probably the first one was we were in an indoor mall. Eldest kid was seven. Youngest kid was about four and a half. And I pulled out of my wallet three $5 bills. And I said, hey, guys, and gave a five to each kid. And I said, go get the old man change. This is not a race. You can go wherever you want. I'll keep an eye on you, but you got to get change. And I'll see you back here. And so off they went. They were kind of they were kind of fired up because it was a task. It was kind of something exciting. And you know, two two of the kids struck out at the first place they went, and then they all came one kid came back with 20 quarters. And but the idea was they had to go on their own and mix it up with whoever stranger was at a cash register to get the change. And we did this a lot in all different kinds of places. 
And then, of course, the tasks began to accelerate and graduate into tougher instances. Hey, kid, you know, here's a $20 bill. Go into that sketchy 7-Eleven over there and get me Gatorade and Doritos and donuts and bring them back to the car. And then it is, we're at a restaurant and I point at one kid who's, you know, six years old. And I say, you memorize the order we're going to, of what we want. And you tell the waiter or the waitress everything for all of us that are sitting here. And then it's, here's my ATM card. Go get the old man, 300 bucks. Here's my passcode. And then we're at an airport and I say, here's the material. Go get us boarding passes. So Every challenge, you know, increased in kind of volume and intensity so that by the time these guys are eight or nine years old, they're they're fine in the real world. They'll go off on their own and get what needs to be done. But it also helps just in their regular interactions at school and and after school that they have the confidence to undertake anything. And I think that's the beginning of building that resilience because they become accustomed to doing things that no other kid at age seven is ever going to do. Now let's talk about negative influences. How did you teach your kids to avoid negative influences from their peers? Oh, that's easy. I completely, almost, cut my kids off from social media. (laughs) I I think the most negative influence in this country today and it's it's been it's been documented by much smarter people than me, Dr. Jonathan Hayde at NYU and Dr. Gene Twenge at San Diego State University. I mean, we've reached a point where you know school systems are saying where you can't bring school phones to school, or you know that TikTok or that even Facebook admits you know Zuckerberg that you know the, the social media avalanche has had a negative effect on kids. I saw it early on because it was easy to see a kid looking at a screen becomes a zombie. And the the actual, you know, um, statistical evidence is so there. An average kid today spends eight hours and 49 minutes a day on a screen, a cell phone or an iPad. And that's outside of schoolwork. And an average boy between the ages of 10 and 18, if you took them all and took all the time they spent on video games, Minecraft, Call of Duty, COD, is around two hours and 14 minutes. There's no reasonable person that can tell me that nine hours or two and a half hours looking at a screen is healthy, particularly with, you know, the the sewage that is on the interweb. So we you know, the negative influences come all from the screen. My kids didn't get phones until they were at the end of 11th grade. And then I had a bet with them. I said, look, whoever brings home a phone with the least power used gets a couple bucks every day. Oh, that's awesome. There was no use of screens except for homework. And they were limited to one hour a day, one hour a week uh, with video games. And we they could only be on weekends. And of course, they weren't even around on weekends. They were constantly out and about doing stuff, mostly athletic stuff. So the negative influences, I think, <clears throat> pretty much come from just that addiction, um, that zombification of 
you know, social media in general. And my kids today, you know, they don't even have Facebook pages. You know, I mean, they're just not on. They don't they don't have any of the apps or anything like that. How can dads listening connect with you? How can they get your book or find out more about what you're doing? Certainly. Uh, my website is www.nelliganbooks.com. That has the books on it. Um, the one you we, we've been speaking of, Four Lessons from My Three Sons. As well, it has a book that I wrote a year and a half ago called Your Kids Rebound from Pandemic Lockdowns, A Parent Guide to Restoring Their Family. I wrote this book after the, you know, during or after COVID, and it is massively cited, 250 sites to medical, psychological, national survey data on what lockdowns, isolation, confinement, and no school did to kids. And it provides a way forward for how parents can reverse that damage and get the kid back that they that, that they want. Um, and I will say the first chapter of it is the screens, you know, the glowing rectangle that focuses on all what happened with kids on screens, the acceleration of use of them. And then the fourth chapter gives parents an idea of how that can be rectified. Um, and my Twitter handle is at Resilient Sons. My Instagram is Nelligan underscore books. And my Facebook is Jeff Nelligan Books. I'm going to make it easier to find all of the links that Jeff just mentioned. So if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, that's thefatherhoodchallenge.com. Go to this episode and look right below the episode description. I'm going to have all of the links posted there for your convenience. Jeff, as we close, what is your challenge to dads listening now? Get that phone out of that kid's hand and say, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to regulate what you see. And if it means, you know, taking the phone away from away from you for days on end, so be it. If it means cutting off the routers in the house, so be it. If it means blocking massive numbers of sites um, from the, the home computers and your phone, that's what it's going to be. So that's a piece of practical advice. The second thing is, is and this is what I did with my, all three of my sons, beginning when they were about five years old, and I'm still doing it today. Every Saturday, I take a kid down to the most peaceful place on, on, the, on the planet. And it is the high school bleachers on a Saturday morning. And we sit in those bleachers and I'd say, okay, what's going on, bro? Tell me what, you know, what's hot, what's not, what happened this week? You know, what's your challenges? What have been your successes? And these kids, this became a routine. Again, the reflex. We would sit there and we'd have a half an hour, hour talk about just what's going on. And then we'd go home and begin the weekend, the weekend chores, the weekend games, everything else. I started this, all three kids, they knew on the Saturday, if it was their Saturday, hey, you got to talk to the old man here for an hour about what's going on. And I, it still goes on. My kids were home. The, all three of them were together for the first time in five years on Christmas. And the reason being because of military, military deployments all over the world always interrupted everyone being home at once. And where do, does the middle kid and I go on a Saturday morning? We go right down to the high school bleachers. It's, 
you know, it's 35 degrees outside, it's freezing. And we just talked for about 45 minutes about what's been going on since we, you know, saw each other last. That's my second piece of advice. Again, practical advice to meet, as you say, that fatherhood challenge. Uh, Dads, get the book. We really did not come close to covering probably even a quarter of what's in the book. So get the book and read it cover to cover. And Jeff, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge and and sharing all of this wisdom with us. Hey, my pleasure and privilege, Jonathan. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com. I'd like to pause and thank our proud sponsor of the Fatherhood Challenge, Zencaster. If you've thought about podcasting before and realized that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcast production platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. But the reason I personally use and trust them with the production of this syndicated radio program is their professional broadcast quality sound. There is no better time than now to start your podcast using Zencaster for all your needs. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code fatherhood and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story.